0: Hello, and welcome to the SRB Podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Gillery. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks. Who give monthly contributions from anywhere between five to twenty-five dollars? You can help support the podcast by going to my Patreon page at patreon.com/shansrussiablog, or the podcast website shansrussiablog.org, and click on the Patreon donate button and join the table of ranks. Anti-Semitic violence was an integral feature to the Russian Revolution and Civil War. Most historical attention, however, has focused on anti-Jewish violence committed by the White Army and Ukrainian forces, and for good reason, they indeed committed the vast majority of atrocities. But as my guest, Brendan McKeever shows, Bolshevik forces also engaged in anti-Semitic violence. So what was the nature of this violence, and how did the Bolsheviks address it in the context of their anti-racist message? How Did Antisemitism and Class Become Intertwined and Articulated? Brendan McGeever provides us with some insight. Brendan McGeever is a lecturer in the Sociology of Racialization and Antisemitism in the Department of Psychosocial Studies at the University of London, Birkbeck. He's the author of several articles exploring antisemitism, racism, revolution, and socialist movements. His most recent article is The Bolsheviks and Antisemitism in Jacobin. His book, The Bolsheviks and Antisemitism in the Russian Revolution, will be published by Cambridge University Press in 2018. Here's Brendan McKeever. So your research focuses on racism and antisemitism in revolutionary Russia and its role in shaping class relations, um, which is definitely a timely topic for us politically. So I thought we'd start by having you talk generally about your research and its historical and and political importance.
1: Yeah, so first of all, thanks a lot for having me on your wonderful show, Sean, Um, and yeah, as you mentioned in in your question, my research is really about racism, anti-Semitism, and the way in which they inscribe themselves historically and contemporaneously within class relations. And the book that I'm currently writing at the moment uh, really looks at these issues in the crucible of the, of the Russian Revolution. And the, the book's called The Bolsheviks and Anti-Semitism in the Russian Revolution. And I think, I mean, you asked why is it important to look at these issues uh, historically and politically, and I guess I'd start with the historiographical reasons that I think are important. Um, I mean, anti-Semitism is just central to the story of the Russian Revolution, right? I mean, it's okay, the, the broad topic of anti-Semitism and the Russian Revolution, in and of itself, if you like, is kind of intrinsically important to the field, uh, to, the, to the historiography, I think. Uh, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. I mean, you know, we, we have a lot to learn about the Russian Revolution by thinking it through the question of anti-Semitism. Uh, and I guess, you know, that's one of the main contentions, if you like, um, of the book. And one of the things, as I sort of mentioned earlier, is that I've been trying to do is to get a sense of how and why anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic representations of Jewishness could really inscribe themselves within class relations. Now, I mean I think you kind of hinted at this in a way in your question here we are in 2017 a century on and the world once again is grappling with 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 racism and antisemitism anew so so i mean these these are questions of our time as well and i really felt that and i still feel that as i'm you know as a when i did the research and as i'm writing and finishing the book now i really feel that sense of of urgency really actually um um, in the in the kind of issues that the book is addressing. and You know, the, the, that when I say urgency, there's an urgency in our current moment and it's an urgency that's there, you know, drenched in the sources themselves. So I guess, you know, to put this another way around, if you like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I approach the historical study of racism and anti-Semitism in that kind of Walter Benjamin sense of the state of emergency if history is is a kind of storm of progress piling up wreckage upon wreckage then well the wreckage is still being piled up all around us and and i guess you know i'm speaking quite generally here but these are the s- sorts of ways in which i've approached this historical question which as i said is important in and of itself as a moment in history but I can't not be aware of the kind of wider dynamics around us in 2017 as as we talk as we talk about this, right?
0: Uh, let me ask you a question about the issue of race, actually, because now historians are now dealing, trying to address the question of race in the Russian imperial context and also the Soviet context, and there is a lot of debate whether you know over what is what does it mean, what does race mean in the Russian context. So, it, and Jews present an interesting case study for that in many ways, because um, they are categorized in most instances in Europe and in Russia as a separate people, distinct. Um, it, it, to me, it's something different than, say, how um, Russians understand other ethnic groups within the empire. Uh, Jews seem to be something else because of, I think, anti-Semitism in general and a long history. But but how, do, how are Jews in the Russian context understood as a race or are they not a race? And what about this question of race, I guess?
1: I guess we're talking here about both historical and also theoretical and conceptual issues here. Um, so... You know, in the literature, you know, if you're to look back in the literature on this issue in Jews in late imperial or revolutionary Russia, um, and look at if you if you look at anything published from the, say post-war era right up until you know the end of the 20th century, generally speaking, you won't find discussion of race in this context, and I think that's kind of that's a product of the fact. That, that really historians didn't contend with these more conceptual questions around race in this Russian context, and I think that's in, I think that's for two reasons really. The first reason is the discourse of race itself um, is relatively absent. And when I say discourse of me, of race, I mean the explicit discourse of race. You know, it is uh, the word the Russian word race rasa. You know, it, it's generally not used. Uh, in the official governmental sources and also more wider cultural um so- sources as well it, it's there for sure but it's not the dominant paradigm through which jews are spoken about and understood in the sources
0: what i just want to say the only and i agree with you and it's interesting because one of the only places where i've seen it is actually really emerge in any sense and that is in the late 19th century in Anthropological, exactly. Literature.
1: So, in, in the more you kind of pseudo scientific uh, domains, where Russian, you know, scholars, ra- race theorists, and racial scientists are, are engaging with the debates that are ongoing in the West, so, uh, abs- you're absolutely right. I'm not saying that the discourse of race is entirely absent from Russian society, but what I'm saying is, in, in, in political circles, and particularly in governmental circles. It is not the explicit discourse through which Jews are ordinarily written and spoken about. How so? That's that's the so I think that's one of the first reasons why scholars tended not to look at these questions. I think the second one is that racism, you know, is was quite a relatively recent concept in itself. It's it's it emerges in the middle of the twentieth century in in the English language, uh, and it was generally you know racism has been understood as um, in, in a scholarly sense, largely to pertain to you know, a, a question of skin colour. So it's, it's understood in that kind of biological determinism sense. And and again, anti-Jewish prejudice is seen by many scholars in this mid to late twentieth century period as as really originating from something else, right? Not from racism. Um, however, I think you know now and I think sociology has contributed quite a lot here, we now think of racism in a much more heterogeneous and flexible way. That is to say, we now, it's increasingly understood that Jewishness can be racialised without an explicit discourse of race. And this has, I think, been a really interesting development in the field in the last, say, 25 years or so, um, 20 years um, what I mean by that is that you know scholars are now increasingly looking at the ways in which cultural and religious representations of Jewishness in late Imperial Russia were, in fact, racialized, naturalized, seen as kind of immutable, and so on. In other words, race is there, just not in that explicit way in which scholars perhaps had looked for it in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is where I'm kind of, I uh, kind of thinking about the fact that you have you know, to speak of like racialization without uh, overarching discourse of race, because as we know, Jews were under legal restrictions uh, in imperial Russia, restrictions that were only lifted with the Russian Revolution. So talk about the ways in which Jews were restricted legally in the imperial system. Well,
1: you're absolutely right. It's it's with the February Revolution um, that that these legal restrictions on Jews are lifted. And, I mean, we, we, we don't have time to go through it all because there are literally 140 statutes, uh, anti-Jewish statutes, which, which total over a 1,000 pages, actually. Um, so, you know, it, it, these laws are extensive uh, in their scope and also really in their, in, in their application as well because, actually, they're developed over a long period of time, um, essentially since the period of partitions uh, of Poland. Uh, by 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 Catherine the Great and, and over kind of different kind of um, czarist regimes, if you like. But but basically, to 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 put it in as clear way as possible, Jews in Imperial Russia reside in what was called as a huge administrative area, what was called the Pale of Settlement, which essentially covers Western Russia, um, Belarus, Lithuania, most of Ukraine. Uh, and for the vast majority of Jews, this, these were the zones within which you know they had to reside, and within those spheres, there were all sorts of restrictions on on everyday Jewish life. For example, you know some of the most notorious ones were the quotas, right? The, the quotas in education and in employment as well, um, which posed you know huge barriers on, if you like, social mobility um, for Jews. Which, which actually, interestingly. Has a part to play in the kind of revolutionization of Jewish political life um, later on. We we can perhaps come to that. Um, There's other restrictions, and there's a very large uh, wave of deportations in 1891 of Jews from Moscow. Um, And and of course, there was the spectra of anti Jewish violence um, which runs through all of this. So So, I mean, so so, February 1917 is really a moment of emancipation. I mean, in in some ways, the anti-Semitism of the period that I've been researching, the Revolution and Civil War years, is a kind of anti-emancipation, anti-Semitism. You know, it's a radical rejection of this newfound freedom that Jews have been granted. So... Yeah, so that so and just a, a little anecdote, by the way, that the, the 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 legal restrictions on Jews are actually lifted on March twenty fourth, nineteen seventeen, which is the eve of Passover. So there's a kind of there's a kind of confluence there that that that, that didn't go unnoted at the time.
0: <laughs> right, of course not. Well, you know, okay. So I have a couple of questions around this. The first, of course, is that were there any other ethnic groups that experienced similar restrictions in the Russian Empire, and if and if not, why Jews?
1: Right. Well, th- I think the the nature, extent, and scope of the restrictions on Jewish life and Jews are are unique. Um, that's the first thing to say. Uh, why are there so? Why are Jews seen as a problem? I mean, there are all. There's no single explanation for this. There's a kind of range of factors. Through the, you know, I don't know if you know the work of John Clear, um, who, who really charted this really well in the way that different Tsars uh, had, had approached the question of you know, what was then called the Jewish question in different ways. But for, for various reasons, by the, by the time or on the eve of the Russian Revolution of 1917, Jews are, are just seen to be a problem economically, socially, culturally. And this is increasingly important in the revolutionary period. Politically, they're seen as a problem, mm-hmm. um, and this leads to all sorts of kind of um, all sorts of, of of restrictions and impositions on 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 Jewish life.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now you also spoke about how the, in some respects, the wave of violence against Jews in the Russian Revolution and the Civil War was a reaction to their emancipation, and here, I can't help but make a comparison or at least think of the emancipation of African-Americans in the United States and the wave of racist violence by, say, the Klan or even whatever white communities. Um, so what is, what is it about the emancipation that – well, talk about the period itself. There's the revolution occurs. And in what place did this anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish violence play in this process?
1: The context in which I've looked at this most closely is within the Bolshevik milieu itself, the kind of revolutionary movement, the Red Army. Now, just to flag something up here, the the, the bulk of anti-Jewish violence that was carried out in the revolution and civil war was by anti-Bolshevik military forces, Uh, the White Army... Uh, another kind of Ukrainian insurgent uh, movements as well, but the, so I, I, my research is looking at this area of Red Army and Bolshevik approaches to anti-Semitism, largely because it's it's one that's been overlooked, and it's in in this context the emancipation of Jews and and the transformations of Jewish life are, are really really sharply felt, right? Because suddenly you've got This group of people, quote-unquote the Jews, who are seen to be bearers of all these problematic tendencies, social, cultural, economic, religious, and so on and so forth. And then you have this political project, Bolshevism, that grants Jews unrestricted freedoms. This is the way it's it's seen by others. Jews, having, having previously and historically been so restricted, now have a newfound degree of freedom such that the leader of the Red Army, you know, is a very visible and publicly known Jew. There are Jews within, you know, certain apparatuses of the of the of the nascent Soviet state, and this has seemed to be, you know, this is this contrasts so sharply with the moment that had just come before, which was the late imperial moment. You this is a transformation and a revolution not just in Russian life, but particularly around the so-called Jewish question. It's, it's been turned on its head.
0: <laughs> now, one of the things that that's perplexing about the figure of the Jew in a lot of contexts, and particularly in the Russian revolutionary movement and the revolution, is that there's a double figure. Uh, there's the figure of the Jew as Bolshevik, or the Bolshevik as Jew, I should say, and then there's the figure of the bourgeois as Jew. So, how does this kind of dual? First off, talk a little bit about this dual figure image in terms of class and and revolution. And and how do how do various people deal with this double image?
1: That's a that's a really great question, Sean. I mean, if if you believe that there's a kind of logic to racism and a a kind of internal logic to anti-Semitism, then you'll instantly be be very, very confused and dumbfounded by anti-Semitism and revolutionary Russia. Because precisely, as you say, the representations of Jewishness that anti-Semites put forward are that, one, they are communist, Bolshevik, revolutionary, and in the same breath, it's stated that they are bourgeois and capitalist. Now, you know... (laughs) Clearly we're not operating on the terrain of logic here. Uh, something else is going on, and, and I think that's the task of the of the of the story, to try and uncover what's gone on. And I think I think what, what's really happening here is that we're dealing with a moment of profound social change. Revolutionary transformation. And the the, the, the change in political power that's taking place here comes to be expressed in part through anti-Semitism. why because anti-Semitism, as I hinted at before, is not a separate or standalone question you know in in a way this was this was called the Jewish question at, at the time and that's misleading because it's not a separate question that belongs or pertains to Jews rather anti-Semitism is a kind of pressure point. Around which a whole series of other questions kind of coalesce and come to be expressed through. So, social, economic, cultural, and political tensions and contradictions in society, many of which have absolutely nothing to do with Jewish everyday life, nevertheless come to be expressed through anti Semitism. So, communism, capitalism, Class inequality; these huge questions of the moment, they come to be expressed through anti-Semitism, despite the fact that you know a tiny fraction of the of the Jewish population is is, is pro-Bolshevik, and even tinier uh, fraction of the of the Jewish population, you know, can be associated with what we might call you know the bourgeoisie. So you know, it's it's. What we're dealing with here is is a kind of set of representations of Jewishness that are really expressing other social, economic, political, and cultural questions that are exploding in this moment of revolution.
0: And do you have an answer as to? I mean, granted, this is the big question of racism in general, and that is, and why why do these problems become gravitate toward? An expression of anti-Jewishness, like what is it about? Take just the the issue of race and racism in general. What is it about? And like I said, this is a complicated thing, so I don't know. I'd be curious to just your thoughts about race that, in its ability to encapsulate all of these social tensions and kind of channel them towards, say, a violence against another. Well, I mean, this is for you know, these are.
1: Difficult and broad questions, but you know, one one thing I would say is, you know, that the the a lot of my work looks at how this is expressed through class relations. But what what the way that race and anti semitism comes to be expressed through class relations, the way that often happens is that it builds upon a pre existing material and a pre existing kind of cultural set a set of cultural resources, often which a lot of which predate the kind of advent of, of of late capitalist modernity. So, in the Russian context, we're dealing with a long prehistory of anti-Jewish, religiously motivated prejudice that doesn't disappear with this kind of moment of modern antisemitism and the kind of advent of of of, of capitalist development in Russia. That doesn't disappear, but rather it morphs into this more modern form of antisemitism. So class relations and class inequalities in the Russian context often come to be not always certainly not always, but particularly in the Western borderlands, come to be overdetermined by those pre-existing forms of prejudice such as anti-Jewishness and 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 anti-Semitism. They come to be overdetermined by these pre-existing forms in this new moment of revolutionary transformation the emergence of new kind of class cleavages in the industrial centers and in the peripheries as well um, so yeah but your question was a much broader one than, than the Russian context I mean what, what I would say is that class and class relations and the way that race comes to really work through that it always does so by building on pre-existing material that' being circulation you know through literature, through religious folklore uh, and so on and so forth, so, you know so the the question of how and why it comes to be a particular group is really a deeply historical question through which we, you know we, and we have, we have to go much much further back than the narrow than the narrow period uh, in which we're studying, which in my case is you know nineteen seventeen russia
0: yeah, and I also think that in some in in one respect um that you know, the other, the racial racial other, in this case, the Jews, because of that pre-existing cultural baggage of, of anti-Semitism in periods of disorientation, right, which the Russian Revolution is definitely a period, and the Civil War, a period of, of social dislocation and disorientation, that the figure of the other, the Jew in this case, is a much more comprehensible way to explain what has happened rather than you know any other kind of complex social economic understanding
1: right yeah and and those social and economic questions and difficulties as i as i mentioned earlier you know they they they, they come to be neatly encapsulated by quote unquote the jew and and one thing which I didn't mention in in your in the answer to your previous question was, of course, that a lot of this, this circulation of anti-Semitic material, has, of course, come from above, from the Tsarist regime itself, and and this is hugely important in the Russian context. Um you know, we we've moved beyond the notion now in the literature that that the pogroms and this anti-Jewish violence that that sweeps late Imperial Russia is simply just you know decided by and caused by the tsarist regime you know we now have a more complicated understanding of how this violence occurs nevertheless the role of the regime should not go uh, un unnoted and 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 it, and it plays a huge role in in the late imperial period and of course suddenly in 1917 we have a new regime that comes to power the 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 bolshevik government which articulates a completely different politics one which says anti-Semitism should be outlawed, and you know, at the level of standpoint at least, you know, it, it 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 is against anti-Semitism. So this is a this is a revolution in all sorts of senses, particularly around the the so-called Jewish question.
0: Uh, let's talk a bit about the Bolsheviks and how they understood anti-Semitism because they did have a explicit anti-racist ideology. Um, and, and, and their ranks, to some extent, particularly among the leadership, kind of reflect the diversity of, of you know, the peoples of the, the Russian Empire. So how did the Bolsheviks understand anti-Semitism within this anti-racist ideology of theirs?
1: Well, I think the first thing we need to do here is make a distinction between Bolshevik conceptualizations of anti-Semitism... And Bolshevik political practice in this area—you know how they actually responded—because those two don't always match up. Um, and actually, in the Civil War years, what I found at least is that the theory, you know, the conceptualization, lagged behind the practice. I'll maybe come back to that in a minute, but at least at the level of theory, you know, the the main Bolsheviks that, that write about this, and principle among them. Is Lenin, of course. Uh, the main approach here is that anti Semitism is a kind of feudal relic. It's a, it's an echo of the previous world. Or, you know, to put it another way, it's an index of Russia's lack of modernity. You know, insofar as Russia has advanced towards this kind of m- modern moment, then anti Semitism will subside. So, it's this. It's in other words, it, it's it's marked by a developmentalism, a kind of a developmentalist approach to how questions of of race and 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 uh, ethnicity work. So in the early nineteen hundreds, Lenin writes about not just anti-Semitism actually, but Jewishness itself as something that needs to necessarily you know wither away. Um, the kind of particularisms of Jewishness. This is really a debate that he has with the Bund. But the question of anti-Semitism features here as well. Um, this notion he has, and actually a lot of socialists subscribe to it as well, is thats is that anti-Semitism is, and, and its intensity is peculiar to the to the Russian context and to the East European context in general because of its lack of modernization. Uh, of course, this is a approach that is that quickly comes to be seen as, a fundamentally flawed uh, in the in the course of the 20th century, and, and there are other Marxists uh, who have a more sophisticated analysis of how of, of 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 the modernity of anti-Semitism, if you like, and 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 the way in which it could actually explode within Western Europe as well. Um, there, there are other Marxists that that that, that are. That they have a more sophisticated understanding of this, but in the Russian context, Bolsheviks generally understand anti-Semitism as a feudal relic, one that's principally articulated by the Tsarist regime, um, and also in the context of the you know after October 1917, anti-Semitism is really encapsulated by the counter-revolution. the attempt to kind of restore the previous order.
0: Well, let's talk about the, how they dealt with it in practice, because as you note in some of your work, uh, anti-Semitic violence is a feature of the Civil War in general. And while most historical work has focused on it in amongst white armies and some Ukrainian forces. It also occurred within the Red Army, in particular in 1918 and 1919. So what is the nature, let's talk two things, what was the nature of this violence by Red Army soldiers against Jews, and how did the Bolsheviks deal with it?
1: Right, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Our, our understanding of anti-Semitic violence in the immediate post-revolutionary months and years is really... Generally, you know, shaped by our knowledge of of white pogroms and kind of anti-Bolshevik, um, or rather the pogroms carried out by anti-Bolshevik forces, we, we know far less about Red Army anti-Semitism. Um, and I'd, I've spent quite a bit of time looking at this in the archives, and what what you find is that actually the very first pogrom wave uh, that erupts after the October Revolution is a pogrom wave carried out by the Red Army in the northeast of Ukraine, in the Chernigov region. Uh, and what you find in particular cases here is a kind of revolutionary politics that is racialized and that is, in some cases, overdetermined by anti Semitism. And the most shocking example of this is in Gluchov, uh, in, again, in the Chernigov region where Bolsheviks come to power with the assistance of Red Guards and Ukrainian peasants that come over to their side. They come to power through anti-Jewish violence. Now, this is not representative, of course, of, of, the, of the Bolshevik movement in general. Far, far from it. But it is a particular manifestation of this Red, Ar- this Red Army anti-Semitism in the spring of 1918 in the Ukrainian northeast. And it, it, this violence is even more extensive in the summer of 1919 when various uh, partisan Red Army units rebel against the Soviet government and against the Red Army leadership, actually, and carry out a devastating wave of pogroms. And, and what's interesting is that this politicisation brings together both anti bourgeois, kind of left populist. Uh, discourse and this long standing anti jewish uh, resentment and what we see here is this really this a coming together of kind of class resentment and anti-Semitic violence uh, that is to say you know, a, a, a existing revolutionary categories categories that the Bolsheviks use for not only their class analysis but for their mobilization. Of 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 kind of class resentment, that mobilisation turns suddenly against Jews and and and, and turns into anti-Semitic violence. Um, so the Bolsheviks have a huge problem of anti-Semitism in the Red Army in 1918 and 1919. In fact, in the sources that I looked at in every single unit of the Red Army in Ukraine in in in, in mid 1919, in particular. Every single unit of the Red Army, Red anti-Semitism, is a problem. Uh, so the Bolsheviks are overwhelmed by this issue. Uh, they're overwhelmed both in terms of its extent, but also politically they're kind of overwhelmed by it. Because what happens is, is that categories of class struggle come to be expressed through anti-Semitism. Uh, and this is this poses huge political problems for the Bolsheviks because anti-bourgeois discourse, which they rely on, suddenly merges and comes to be expressed through anti-Semitism, um, and for, for for a regime opposed to anti-Semitism, this is hugely problematic.
0: So, how did they deal with this? How how is it dealt with within the party?
1: You know, the the first thing to note is 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 the context here. You know, the, the Bolsheviks in by 1917, Bolsheviks have been participating in various forms of resistance to anti-Semitism for a good number of years. Uh, so the standpoint of Bolshevism here is an anti-racist one, as you, as you suggested a few moments ago. but the turning of that standpoint into or the kind of actualization of that standpoint into a politics of anti- anti-Semitism is a much more difficult process. And what we find in the spring of 1918, when these pogroms, these Red Army pogroms in Chernigov, uh, in Ukraine, start to emerge, what we find is that the Bolshevik regime is very slow to do anything about it. And that there's a kind of assumption in the literature that the Bolshevik response to anti-Semitism was really carried out from above, if you like, you know, by Lenin and the Bolshevik leadership. Uh, and or or, or the, the or the Soviet government. And I guess what I found in the sources was something really quite different. The the Bolshevik response to anti Semitism did not emanate from above as is generally assumed, but rather it came from the margins of the Soviet government, the margins of, of the Bolshevik movement. It came from a group of Jewish activists who were either in or had recently been in Jewish socialist political parties such as the Left Zionists, the Bund, uh, or the Vereinigte, um party. So, this really kind of changes, or it changed my understanding of, of the Bolshevik approach to anti Semitism because actually it was these activists that pushed the Bolshevik, the, 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 it was these activists that really articulated the Soviet government response to anti Semitism. They're the ones who wrote pamphlets who put up posters who wrote newspaper articles who organized reading groups in the Red Army who set up all sorts of educational um initiatives in schools in, in adult education groups uh, in in peasant reading groups and so on and so forth
0: yeah I wanted to move to um, the how this how the the Bolsheviks uh, attempt to deal with anti Semitism and speaking out against anti Semitism reverberated amongst communist movements internationally. Because you, in, in one of your articles, you quote uh, the African American poet and communist Claude McKay, who spends time in the Soviet Union uh, in the 1920s. And, and he speaks about the revolutionary potential of the Bolsheviks, anti racism, and anti Semitism. And in 1921, McKay writes, Every Negro should make a study of Bolshevism and explain its meaning to the colored masses. It is the greatest and most scientific idea afloat in the world today. Bolshevism has made Russia safe for the Jew. It has liberated the Slav peasant from priest and bureaucrat who can no longer egg him on to murder Jews to bolster up their rotten institutions. It might make these United States safe for the Negro, if the Russian idea should take hold of the white masses of the Western world, then the black toilers would automatically be free. Now, putting aside the kind of, you know, uh, um, uh, embellishment <laughs> of his words, it, talk about the significance of this quote and, and, and why you you begin one of your articles with it.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful quote. Just listening to you read it out there, it really retains its its. its it's intrigue for me. There's a few things about it. Uh, the first thing is that it it speaks of the promise, the anti-racist promise of the Bolshevik project. And it's a promise that really reverberates far and wide and, and reaches a, a truly global, if you like, multi-ethnic audience, and that's actually captured in the fact that it's McKay who's making the statement, right? Um, so you know, you started your question by talking about the reverberations of the Bolshevik response to anti-Semitism outside of the Soviet sphere itself, and and it, it clearly had reverberations because despite all the problems and difficulties of of actualising the Bolshevik response to anti-Semitism, nevertheless, clearly the Bolsheviks took a different, a completely different position on anti-Semitism to the counter to the counter-revolutionary movements such as the whites and this this socialist anti-racist promise has wide wide reverberations and what I love about this mckay quote is you see it being taken up and 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 applied to the US context of course it's the misreading of mckay that is the most dramatic and actually the most tragic aspect of that quote, because he says Bolshevism has made Russia safe for the Jew. Now, he's he's writing this in 1921, when the pogroms are still ongoing. Uh, and it's, you know, he, what 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 McKay is doing is, it, is he's reading the promise. He's taking the promise of the Bolshevik project and taking it to the United States. But it's the actuality of the Bolshevik project, and it's the actuality, of revolution and its articulation with anti-Semitism, that is the most dramatic and most tragic um, aspect of of all of this. And of course, Bolshevism had not made Russia safe for the Jew. Um, Bolshevism had been accompanied by an extraordinary wave of anti-Jewish violence, which the Bolsheviks themselves, you know, uh, participated in to a degree. So this if we make a distinction between promise and actuality we can see we can see where mckay is coming from and also you know where he's wrong as well
0: i don't know if you could you can answer this but another also international implication is on zionism um, do you have any sense of how the zionists reacted to the bolsheviks attempt to deal with anti-Semitism? And how did the Bolsheviks understand Zionism?
1: It's a really interesting question. So, I mean, first things first, we'd have to sort of disaggregate Zionism. Um, as it as it happened, a lot of the Jewish activists that I looked at in my research that brought into being this Bolshevik response to anti-Semitism were actually themselves Zionists. They were... The Paleziyon, the Labor Zionists, communist faction, which eventually established themselves into a separate party, the Jewish Communist Party. They are, you know, Marxist Zionists. They, they they believe that there should be a Jewish homeland in Palestine. But short of that happening, in the meantime, they fight for the civil rights of Jews in the here and now. This group of Jewish communists, the Left Zionists. They often are the ones who take the Bolshevik promise of anti-antisemitism and take it into actuality, right? And that realise the Bolshevik promise. They're often the ones that articulate the strongest critique of Red Army anti-Semitism. So it's an, it's an interesting one to talk about Zionism in this moment, because on the one hand, you have Jewish Communists... Are Bolsheviks, proper Bolsheviks like uh, Simon Diemanstein, who you know is writing article after article in the in the in the Soviet Jewish press about how awful Zionists are, and at the same time how how, how awful these Labour left Zionists are, and at the same time those very same activists are working with people like D. Manstein to make a Soviet response to anti Semitism. And of course there's the other dimension to all of this, which is that after the Civil War period and into the late 1920s, the Bolsheviks themselves come up with a kind of red Zion in the shape of Birabijan. So it's the question of Zionism and its place within this moment. And within this moment is a very interesting one because another aspect, to all of this, we we're, we're, we're about to mark the centenary of October 1917. Of course, in the very same moment, there's the Balfour Declaration. Um, so it is—it is a very interesting one to, to, to take the question of Zionism and and look at it in the context of the Russian Revolution. My research has been a bit different, I should say. You know, I've been looking more specifically at the question of anti-Semitism, and insofar as the opponents of anti-Semitism uh, within the Bolshevik movement were Zionists, which they were, as it turns out, um, then I've looked a bit a bit into this as well.
0: And finally, in a, in a talk you gave at Birkbeck late, late last year, you spoke about the present-day political relevance of questions of race and class. So how does your work on anti-Semitism and the Russian Revolution, now we're 100 years on, uh, help you think about our political challenges today?
1: Obviously, I started off this conversation by talking about the urgency of the current moment. One of the main findings of this work, Sean, is that you know if we disaggregate, the Bolshevik response to anti-Semitism, we find that there was a Soviet government response to anti-Semitism, but it wasn't Bolshevik in origin. And what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, those who took the Bolshevik promise of anti-racism into actuality were those who were, first of all, Jewish, they were non-Bolshevik, they were Jewish revolutionaries who combined their revolutionary agency with, if you like, a self-identificatory Jewishness. Now, I'm talking in broad terms here because there were Yiddish-inflected Bundists, there were Marxist-Zionists, and there were all sorts of Jewish socialists and, and communists that were involved in this Soviet government response to anti-Semitism. But if we can put them in one category just for a moment, what we find, as I said, is that they bring together the revolutionary agency with a self-identificatory Jewishness. Now, what does that mean? And why is that important for today? Well, what I found in the archives is that those activists elevated the politics of race and ethnicity. They elevated the politics of race and ethnicity to an equal status to that of class, right? Because sometimes when Bolsheviks mobilized around class, they marginalized the specificity of the experience of racialization and oppression. Now, I think Bolsheviks did that sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, because they had a kind of desire to subsume ethnicity within class or a kind of class universalism, and that's widely understood. But these Jewish radicals that I looked at combined their Jewishness, in fact, mobilized around their Jewishness um, to combat anti Semitism. So, you know, if you like, the Bolshevik. And Soviet government response to anti-Semitism, which is a universalist one in terms of the discourse that's in that response, it actually has quite particularist moorings. Uh, now, this is important for today because I think this tells us about the urgency and kind of ethical imperative that underlies the anti-racism of those who are at the sharpest end of racism itself. Now we can see that, for example, in the current struggles around racism in the United States with Black Lives Matter, uh, and also other self-organisation initiatives around um, migrant struggles in Europe and also in the UK as well. What's the connection here? The connection is, in 1917, in the Russian Revolution, the radicals and Jewish activists that I looked at, you know, they confronted anti-Semitism from the subject position as Jews, right? You know, they engaged with the revolution as Jews and they confronted anti-Semitism as Jews. And there was something specific about the, the kind of anti-racist praxis that emerges from these activists that was, a diff- that was of a different order to that which was articulated by non-Jewish Bolsheviks, for example, is that there's an urgency to that kind of politics and a kind of ethical imperative that underlies it, and I think that is something that we see. You know, we can see parallels there, a century on in 2017 around anti-racist struggles in a completely different context, such as you know Western Europe or the United States or or elsewhere. But nevertheless, we we can see similarities there. So there's something specific, and and there's a kind of contribution that comes from the those at the sharp end of of, of racism and anti Semitism.
0: And I also have to say too, it at least it seems that at that moment Bolshevism was able to incorporate that without losing without, you know, losing anything. You know, it only enhanced that 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 revolutionary push.
1: Right, and 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 I think the important thing to note here is that Bolsheviks, for a whole range of reasons, you know, look to and try to bring in those very activists that I'm talking about, uh, and this is, you know, and this goes way beyond, you know, the 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 specific case of Jews and anti-Semitism. You know, this is a a multi-ethnic former empire, and the Bolsheviks, you know, and Bolshevism has to be translated into not just different languages, but different kind of political. And cultural um, narratives and discourses. And the way the Bolsheviks do this is to open up, finally, and actually rather belatedly, to the national and nationalist movements of the borderlands and elsewhere. Um, So, yeah, so Bolshevism and the kind of, or rather, the Soviet government and the Soviet project has built into it in this early phase an openness to otherness. Um, And and I think that's been quite well charted in the, in the literature by people like Terry Martin, and others. Um, but it actually plays out also in the response to anti-Semitism. But all of these activists that we're talking about, you know, either are expelled from the government quite quickly, or if they if they stay, they they perish in the purges. So you know, this this openness to otherness that I'm describing is is specific to the early Soviet period, and, and yeah. It, it doesn't survive, and, and nor do the individuals.
0: That was Brendan McGeever, a lecturer in the sociology of racialization and antisemitism and a department of psychosocial studies at the University of London, Birkbeck. His book, The Bolsheviks and Antisemitism in the Russian Revolution, will be published by Cambridge University Press in 2018. I'm your host, Sean Gillery, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thank you to all my High Excellencies, High Wellborns, and Noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye!